Hi everybody, welcome back to Weekly Haftorah. Um, this week is Parsha's Tazriya Mitzorah. And while we do have a regular Parsha this week, we have a special Maftir, that's a special Eitaliyah, and a special Haftorah, because the Shabbos overlaps with Rosh Chodesh. Um, when Shabbos comes in, we'll mark the beginning of the new Hebrew month of Iyar. So in this year, usually we discuss the Parsha for the purpose of relating it to the Haftorah. And since this week's Haftorah isn't actually based on the Parsha, I'm going to fly through the summary very fast and instead focus more on the Maftir. So this week's Parsha is long. It's a double Parsha. It comes from Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapters 12 through 15. Uh, very quickly, the Parsha is significantly adding to the discussion thus far in the Chumash of Tuma and Tahara. So again, a reminder, these words are usually translated into English as Tahara, meaning purity, and Tuma, meaning impurity. But these are really quite terrible translations because they've been impacted by outside non-Jewish sources that don't understand the concepts. Tuma and Tahara have absolutely nothing to do with physical cleanliness or dirtiness. Um, Rather, they're describing whether or not somebody or something is in a state of being able to have certain specific types of direct interactions with Hashem. This week's Parsha discusses the effects of childbirth, different types of emissions, um, certain ones that happen for men, and specifically for women, menstrual emissions. Um, They discuss all of those events and their impact on an individual or a house's Tuma and Tahara. But the bulk of this week's Parsha actually deals with a skin condition called Saraz, which is commonly translated as leprosy, but again, it's not a great translation. Uh, The skin condition required extensive precautions to prevent transmitting Tuma, and the Parsha discusses extensively the exact procedures for identifying this exact skin condition and also for eliminating it and the procedure for eliminating the Tuma that comes along with it. So today, the only laws of Tuma and Tahara that still exist are the laws of Nida, which is the Tuma contracted by a woman who has menstruated recently. And um, that type of Tuma is eliminated by a waiting period and then immersion in a mikvah. But although all of the laws in this week's Parsha don't actually apply without uh, Besa Mikdash, they will become practical again, Bezrat Hashem, soon with the building of Baishlishi. So it's very important that we still know them, study them, and review them. So our special maftir this week comes from Sefer Bamidbar, the book of Numbers. It comes from chapter 28, Pesukim 9 through 15. And this reading is very fitting for a Shabbos Rosh Chodesh because it simply describes the respective offerings for Shabbos and for Rosh Chodesh. Nothing more, nothing less. So these are sacrifices that will be added to the normal daily offerings called the Tamid. And both of these offerings would be added to the Tamid since it's for both Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh. So the reading describes the exact recipe for each of the korbanos, comprised of animals, grains, and wine. And the last Pasuk describes that on Rosh Chodesh, there's an additional sin offering that's brought. And we'll discuss the relevance of that today, later in this year. So transitioning to the Haftorah. This week, it is related to the special Maftir, and it comes from Sefer Yeshayahu, that's the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, Parak Samech Vav, which is the very last parak of the entire Sefer. So we've looked at Yeshayahu a few times before, uh, but for anybody who could use a refresher or anybody who's new, I'm going to set some historical context so we're all on the same page before we get into our summary. So Yeshayahu is a prophet who begins his prophecy before 
the ten tribes were exiled, and he's prophesizing in Yehuda, which is in the south. He's prophesizing during the reign of four different kings of Israel. Those are kings Uzziahu, Yotam, Ahaz, and Chizkiyahu. Um, th- those are also mentioned in other Nevi'im in the beginning Psukim to set the time and the place. So we know because of that Psukim, because of that Pasuk, that Yeshayahu is a contemporary with Yonah, with Hosea, with Amos, that they're all prophesizing at the same time. So as Nebuah begins prior to the destruction that happens, the destruction of the first temple, and prior to the expulsion of the ten tribes. So a lot of his prophecies have to do with Hashem's warning to the Jews that if they don't do tshuva for all of their sins, the sins including overindulging in certain physical luxuries, doing idol worship, relying on other kingdoms to help in military battles and not relying on Hashem, murder, sexual sins, everything, um, that if the people don't do tshuva for that, that they have a lot of destruction and pain coming. So some of the main trademarks of Yeshayahu's nevuah include the destruction of the first temple and the exile of the ten tribes if they don't do tshuva. And he also very vividly describes the realities of the Messianic era. So our Haftor this week is actually coming as the very last parak of Sefer Yeshayahu. It's his very last nevuah. And it's discussing how each Jew will be held accountable for our actions. And it describes through a metaphor some of the the scenes that will unfold as the Geula, as the redemption, occurs when the Jews eventually move back to Israel in the Second Temple period. So as we go through this Nebuah, I'd like us to keep in mind that the Nebuah itself doesn't directly relate to what will practically happen on Rosh Chodesh after the Geula happens, but it's more thematically related. So the last two psukim of the Nebuah are really where we see the connection most obviously So if it's not making a ton of sense how it's related, just hold on and it will make sense at the end. So to summarize the Nebuah, I'm going to break it into four parts. Part one is a rebuke. It's rebuking all of the sinners among the Jews who motivated their reason that they're in Gullus, that they're in exile in the first place. So in Pesukim Aleph through Gimel, the first three verses... Hashem is explaining to us through Yeshayahu exactly what the problem was in the first temple period that led up to its destruction. He said, in short, that although the Jews were bringing korbanos, they were not keeping the Torah and mitzvot outside of the base of Mikdash. So although they're going through the motions and quote-unquote doing what they're supposed to do, what's actually going on, the big picture, is, is not what Hashem had in mind. There's very much a mentality during this time of it's okay to serve idols so long as you're also going to bring your korbanos. So long as you've checked off that thing on your to-do list that you have to do, you can do whatever else you want. And that is absolutely not how any of this was supposed to happen. The second part of the nevuah is a retribution. Um, It describes what will be issued out to these sinners um, in the time before the Mashiach comes it describes their, the punishment that they'll receive for doing these sins. So Hashem states explicitly in Pasuk Dalad that these people that, that we described in the, the previous three Pesukim, they're not doing what I said. They are doing something that is explicitly against my words, that is explicitly against the Torah. He said, I spoke, but they didn't listen. And he's explaining to the people who are doing what they're supposed to do, 
Don't be shaken by these people. Even though they're going to mock you and make fun of you, you're doing the right thing. So if you're bringing the korbanos and also keeping Torah, also keeping mitzvot outside of the base of Mikdash, don't listen to all the outside noise. Stay focused, stay calm, and know that you're doing what I, what I truly told you to do. The third part is Hashem promising a return to Jerusalem. In this section, he brings, he introduces a very beautiful analogy um, that the Jews returning to Jerusalem is in a way like this process of a mother going through childbirth. Hashem says that the Jewish return to Jerusalem will be as smooth as a woman who in some way miraculously gives birth with no labor pains. He tells us that the land of Israel will nourish us just like breast milk nourishes a baby. And he compares the way that he, God, will console us after the Geula to the way that a mother consoles her child after this sort of traumatic and very jarring process of childbirth. Hashem lastly reinforces that as warm and loving as this process is going to be for the righteous people who didn't sin in the first place, so too will it be very painful and very punitive for those who sinned. And in the last part of the Nebuah, part four, Hashem describes that the, the other nations of the world will be involved in this process of the Geula actually happening. Hashem states that after the redemption, the glory of the Jewish people will be declared by the surrounding nations and that they will also bring korbanos to the base of Mikdash. And this is something that's important to note. The base of Mikdash is not only for Jews. Non-Jews can bring, can bring sacrifices as well. So that's something important to take note of. So the second to last Pasuk, Pasuk Chaf Gemel, Pasuk 23 says, Hashem says, and new moon after new moon, and Shabbos after Shabbos, all flesh will come to worship me. This last Pasuk is reinforcing how bad the punishment will be for those who originally violated the mitzvahs. And it's important to know that this Pasuk that I just read, chapter 23, where Hashem says on Shabbos and on Rosh Chodesh, everybody will come to worship me. That Pasuk is reread again after the last Pasuk of the Haftorah because um, we have a custom that in certain Haftorahs where we're finishing off a Sefer, sometimes the Sefer finishes off on a negative or a frightening note. We actually saw this a few weeks ago on Shabbos Hagadol when we finished Sefer Malachi. Um, so in those situations, we reread the second to last Pasuk in order to conclude the reading on a more hopeful and a more positive note. So again, this Pasuk 23 is the connection here. Hashem is saying that this all ties back to the fact that people will come to me on Shabbos and on Rosh Chodesh. So we see why this is connected to being the reading for Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. So in thinking about this Haftorah and sort of what it means for us on a practical level, I think I was influenced by my recent trip to Tiberia. Um, I had the very exciting experience to daven by the grave of the Rambam. And his ideas really, I think, shaped how I saw this week's Haftorah. So as I was reading the Nevoah, I noticed several themes that seemed to mirror those that were set forth in the 13 principles of faith that the Rambam wrote. So for anybody who's not familiar, um, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon 
was one of the absolute Torah giants of pre-modern Judaism. I can't say anything that appropriately fully describes the depth and breadth of knowledge he had, not only in Torah, but also in medicine, in science, in worldly knowledge. Um, This man was somebody who traveled all over the world. Unfortunately, he was most of the time running for from persecution that was happening in the communities that he moved from. But this man traveled all over the world and became not only renowned as a Torah scholar, but also as the best physician available in the world at his time. So we're learning the ideas of somebody very, very important here. So in the introduction to his commentary on Perak which is the 10th chapter of the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, the Rambam lays out 13 principles that are fundamental to being a Torah Jew. And you guys are probably familiar with them. It's accustomed to say them after davening Shacharis in the morning. Um, there's a song, Yigdal, which is not word for word exactly a description of what these say, but it's, it's based on the 13 principles. Um, and I felt that many of the separate psukim in the Haftorah this week were actually reflected in these principles very, very directly. So in the first Pasuk of the Haftorah, Hashem implores the Jewish people. He said, it says, Ko amar Hashem ha-shemayim kisiva aretz ha-dom raglai, eze beis asher tivnuli, ve'eze makom menuchasi. So it says, so said Hashem, the heavens are my throne, the earth is my footstool, and where could you possibly build a house for me? What place could possibly serve as my resting place? So Hashem is clearly stating in the Nebuah Pasuk Aleph that he has no place. There's no place that can contain him. Therefore, he can't be physical. The third of Rambam's 13 principles states, It says, I believe with complete faith that the creator, blessed be his name, he has no body, he is beyond any bodily concept, and there is nothing at all that can be compared to him in the physical world. So we see through the Pasuk and through that principle of faith that there's a very direct reflection. The next connection I saw between the Haftorah and these 13 principles came from Pasuk He of the Haftorah. Pasuk He says, Amru achichem sonechem minadechem laman shmi yichbad Hashem v'nira b'simchasem hem yevoshu. It says, say to your brothers who hate you and who shun you, Hashem will be glorified because of my reputation and your joy will be seen while they will be embarrassed. And we see from the ensuing psukim in the Nevoah that Hashem has reward in store for those who keep his commandments and he's going to punish those who violate them. And this is reflected very directly in the Rambam's 11th principle, which states, It says, I I believe with complete faith that Hashem, blessed be his name, rewards those who keep his commandments and punish those who transgress them. Another connection. Let's look at Pasuk 18. It begins with the words, This is translated as, I know their deeds and I know their thoughts. The 10th principle of the Rambam says, I believe with complete faith that Hashem, blessed be his name, knows all the deeds of men and he knows all of their thoughts. 
There's a few more connections, but I think the point is clear that because there are so many parallels between this parak of Yeshayahu and Rambam's 13 principles, I think it's safe to say that parak 66 summarizes some of the core fundamentals of Jewish faith. And it's anchored by those last two psukim that tie all these themes into Rosh Chodesh. So what would the 13 principles have to do with Rosh Chodesh? That's really our question. So I want to discuss a bit of a comparison of what Rosh Chodesh looks like in our world today and what it might have looked like in generations past. So for us, Rosh Chodesh is, it looks pretty much like a normal day. For men, the davening might be a little longer. We add Yale Viyavo to our Amida, to our benching. Um, we might not do laundry. If we're lucky, we might find time to sit down and have a special meal. But in reality, it, it doesn't look that different. We're still going to work. We're doing malacha. We're going about our daily lives. It, it doesn't look necessarily like so much of a different day. But in previous generations, it might not have been the same. In Tanakh, there is a scene in Sefer Shmuel base that references a special type of feast that was carried out by David HaMelech and Yonasan in the royal court on Rosh Chodesh. And Aminhag has actually evolved over time that the day before Rosh Chodesh is known to be a Yom Kippur Katan, which is like a, a mini Yom Kippur. It's a, it's a day of repentance in a way. This comes from the last Pasuk of the Maftir portion that we talked about. It explains that we also have to bring a sin offering on Rosh Chodesh in addition to what was already laid out. So in some communities, they say slichos on this day. Some people fast. There are various customs nowadays how this Yom Kippur Katan is marked. But there is an idea of it being a day of repentance before Rosh Chodesh. So I'd like to use the ideas in this week's Haftor to propose how we could see Rosh Chodesh in a bit of a way like it was seen in previous generations, sort of making a bigger deal out of it, so to speak. So I think the reminders present in the Haftorah this week come at a time on our calendar with very special energies and very special types of strengths that we can tap into. The Jewish people are compared a lot of times with the moon because our avoda, our service of Hashem, it waxes and wanes. We go through periods of drawing closer, and farther away from him based on our behavior, based on whether or not we are following the Torah or starting to stray away from it a little bit. And I think women are especially attuned to this sort of waxing and waning process because it's quite literally built into our bodies. We're physically more attuned to it. So the beginning of the month is Caesar renewal of the moon. This time is it's a small opportunity to bring some of the ideas we commonly talk about in Elul into our lives throughout the year. With every new moon, we have this opportunity to, quote-unquote, hit the reset button on our Avodah Sashem, so to speak. Um, we can take stock of what we've done well on in the last month. We can think about what might need improvement. We can reorient our minds to what motivates us to be Torah Jews in the first place. And those really are, are the 13 principles. That's what they're there to do. Half Torah is giving us the reminders of our fundamental knowledge as Jews. It's reminding us that Hashem is the only enduring God. He's our one true focus throughout our lives. His Torah is true. His mitzvot are the path to inner peace, and they're what protect us. And that Mashiach and the Tchiyas Amesim, the revival of the dead, those are coming. And when coupled with the practical realities of Shabbos, um, when it's a time that's work and distraction-free, when we get to overlap that with Rosh Chodesh, we have a special space carved out in time to really do this work of evaluation, 
goal setting, reorienting our minds to what it is that we believe as Torah Jews, and also to Shuva if need be. So Bezrat Hashem, we can build up this ability, starting with this Rosh Chodesh, to see it as more of an opportunity to look inwards at what our Avodah is and see how we can refocus. And we can use that to propel and renew our own personal Avodah all year round. So ladies, I hope you have a good Shabbos and a good Chodesh, and we will be in touch next week.